Welcome to the Oral Surgery Fight Club podcast. This is a collection of mock cases in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery in a question and answer format conducted on Zoom. Enjoy. Three months was more than enough. Um, we did a review Wednesdays, like it's up here, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and Saturdays at 10 a.m. So we just review for an hour and some, some weeks, to be honest, no, nobody brought a case. So it was just kind of talking through what we were um, studying at the time. Um, but for the most part, we had a topic just about every week. Like I signed up for a few cases, um, Tarek, uh, Sean, there, there are, you know, a bunch of people signed up to both be an examinee and be an examiner in each of these things. Um, so that was the first tip is like, let's, let's make a timeline. And if you want, if you guys are okay with that, I think I'm just going to change the dates on this and set a, set a timeline. Um, because it, it this was actually like, it, I mean, it sounds, it sounds a little, uh, sadistic, but it was actually not too bad of an exam to study for. I had a, I had a little bit of fun just kind of mapping it out. Um, and it, it was amazing. In our in our fifteen person study group, everybody passed. Everybody passed. Like the the practice is, you know, the, making this timeline and then practicing. That's the most important part. Um, the second thing I did was, I loaded up sound bites for the no brainer stuff. And what I mean by that is, uh, for the stuff like medicine, um for the for the pathology entities i kind of had a just one little soundbite written down on a flashcard or something it's a sentence that you can get out in less than you know five to ten seconds like diabetes if someone asks you what diabetes is and you're thinking on the exam like well shoot what uh diabetes is like you shouldn't be doing that you're just wasting time so for the basic stuff like diabetes uh all these medical anomalies, whether it's myasthenia gravis, whether it's uh, Parkinson's, whether it's uh, AFib, um, different medicines or something like that, you know what it's going to be. And they, they'll probably ask you that you might have the question, like, what is X? And it's super helpful to just have that sound bite loaded and ready to go. Um, so for, my, for instance, my little sound bite on diabetes was, it's a glucose dysregulation disorder. It can be divided into types one, type two. It's diagnosed based on blood glucose levels above 200 or more than uh, two readings above 120 on, you know, more than two weeks apart or an HbA1c above seven. And that was just a quick way to, you know, let them know like, okay, don't, you know, I know diabetes well, and you that. don't have to poke and prod. Um, but the more you load those sound bites up, the easier it becomes. Cause in some of these, they're only going to, uh, they're going to go after the relevant stuff. But, um, if they detect, you know, you're kind of floundering on something, um, they might kind of let you just waste time on it and you don't want to waste time. Um, so sound bites were super helpful, even for stuff like pathology where it's like, you know, what is, um, I don't know what, what's a Warthin's tumor. And if you just think along the standard blueprint, like if you make these flashcards enough, it, it comes down to a blueprint where you can rattle off the disease entity, like what it is. You can list the signs and symptoms, like how it's going to manifest in somebody. And then you can basically say like, here is where it usually presents like anterior maxilla or you know, posterior mandible, and then you know how to treat it. And basically all pathology is basically, well, I'm going to biopsy and then possibly cut it out or watch it. Like pathology isn't actually too complicated once you start, you know, uh, studying for it. it. It's really not that bad, but it, it is, there are a lot of entities that you just, the, the things that differ are the staging and the margins. So, um, we'll, we'll get there. Um, and then the third tip I had is just practice. Like sign up, like on, on this timeline, just sign up to be the examiner and the examinee. And it'll be super helpful because being in the examiner seat, you get to see how questions are going to go. 
uh, how to line up questions, how to walk somebody through a case, um, and, and just the mentality of sitting on the other side. So when you're, ex when you're an examinee and the real thing, you do kind of get a sense of, oh, here's what they're trying to ask. Here's what they're pushing me towards. Um, so I'll make this timeline for next week and I'll, I'll share it with you guys. And I think, you know, sign up for as many as you can, even if it's a, a cruddy case or something like that, just cobble something together. It's, it's really helpful, even if it is very poorly made as an examiner. Um, or if you're just going through a case, you know, from residency, like, like I am. Um, but that's, that's, you guys cover the, two cases per session. Uh, it's like one or two cases. Like if you can see the screen still right here, like oh, yeah. occasionally we'd bring like three cases. Cause like medicine and anesthesia, these are the, um, if I zoom in here, like I go down to medicine, we brought three cases that day. Um, Cause medicine and anesthesia, there's, there's so many different ways it can go. Um, yeah. but I, I don't mean that to be intimidating. I just mean that, uh, it's a section that has a lot of, uh, it's a broad section, but they can only go so far. You only have 12 minutes. It's, it's not like they're gonna, you know, take you deep into the weeds on like, um, fractional excretion of sodium or something like that on, on kidney disease. They're, they're not going to go in to crazy detail. They're going to stick with the basics. Um, I'd, I'd say the important things that I thought they were looking for is one, make sure you're a safe practitioner Two, make sure you're not going to kill a patient. And like, as long as you're just staying safe, you're probably going to pass. And, and as long as you're articulate, you're probably going to pass. You're probably going to pass. Like you, you guys, I, I, I'm probably the weakest test taker out of, out of all you guys. Um, uh, you know, after being next to you, each of you guys for a number of years, you, you guys will all do fine, but it's just a matter of practice. Um, okay. So I brought two cases today. I don't know who, who wants one of them, one or two. Um, one of them kind of, I'll let you know they're both pathology cases, but one of them kind of delves into reconstruction a little bit. So who wants a case? Sir, do you want one? I'll take it. <laughs> you want one, Carla? All right. I don't want oh, it, but I'll take I it. I know, I know. It was the same way in our study group. Like nobody ever you wanted it, but you need it. <laughs> so I want to be the first one. <laughs> I know, I know. Do you want it? No, but do you need it? Nah, kind of. I'll, I'll accept it. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, so... So I'm going to start the timer here. What time is it? 9.16? All right. Cool. So you get a 12-year-old female that presents to your office six <clears> weeks <throat> after hearing a crack in her jaw. Four weeks after hearing the initial cracking sound, she had swelling. What do you want to know? Uh, I want to know, well, medical history, uh, surgical history, um, medications, allergies, anything like that. also want to know what she was doing when she heard this crack in the jaw. Was it trauma? Um, yeah. Did I she understand. have any pain, so, any paresthesia? Um, yeah. So she was chewing when she heard the crack in her jaw. Um, she has no relevant medical history. She says her bite is different. And she says she has a little bit of tingling in her left lip. What do you want to do? I uh, want to get a orthopansogram. Is that what they call the panos? Yeah, uh, just it, it, again, um, just a little interlude here. This exam is purely what would you do? Not like, what do you think the answer is? So just keep okay. focusing on that. What would you do? Um, would you uh, well, do I would conduct a physical exam. Yeah, uh, sure. So on, on extra oral exam, she has paresthesia of her left side um, in the V3 distribution. Um, she has pretty significant left mandibular swelling. She's tender there. Uh, intraorally, she's got mobility of tooth number 19. And she has tenderness like all around that kind of retromolar pad on the left side. You said you would get a pano, so your assistant snaps this image. Yeah. Hey there. Can you uh, describe to me what you see? 
Uh, let me get, make this smaller so I can see everything. Uh, so this is a orthopantogram of diagnostic quality. Um, I see that the condyles are visible. They're round, seated in the fossa. Sinuses are aerated. Um, she has- What do you see around the left mandible? Oh, uh, I see a large radiolucent lesion uh, associated with um, uninterrupted tooth buds uh, 17 and 18. Also, I see uh, uh, the radiolucency extends from the uh, sigmoid notch region over to the um, <clears throat> uh, to the first molar tooth number 19. I understand. Uh, so, uh, what do you what what's on your differential at this point? Uh, macho, so myxoma, uh, myeloblastoma, CGCG, dentigerous cyst, uh, mangioma, and OKC. Sure. So, what would you want to what would you want to do next at this point? I would want a medical grade CT. Um, sure. So you get a CT size of and it, it shows you a, a pretty sizable lesion here, mm -hmm. four centimeters by three and a half centimeters. What would you want to do at this point? I would want to get an incisional biopsy. I would probably consider putting the patient maybe an MMF. Um, mm, that's pretty good. Um, so she's a little concerned about this mobile, uh, first molar on the left side. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you address it at this time? Mm, I'll probably just put her in a, an MMF, have her okay. in a, I also <laughs> forgot to mention there was no segmental mobility, um, upon your exam. Um, but, uh, that's a, well, the examiners won't tell you. Uh, they won't give you any feedback to your responses. I'm going to say that's, that's a good idea to put her in MMF. Um, okay. So you get, uh, describe your incisional biopsy. Um, I would make a crestal incision distal to tooth number 19. Um, and I would make a distal buckle release. And so while you're doing that, you discover tooth number 19 actually is really, really mobile. I'm probably taking it You out. don't think it's viable. Okay. I would expect it at that time. Um, so you do your incisional biopsy. Tooth number 19 comes out uh, along with some tissue. It comes back as a, um, it comes back as a mealoblastoma from the pathologist. Okay. You remove the specimen and um, oh. what would you, what would you do at this time? Uh, I would start planning for uh, resection and reconstruction. The patient is a little averse to having her mandible resected, being 12 years old. She asks you if there's any other options. Mm, I would try to decompress it, uh, make it smaller. Uh, the patient and her mother like this option, so you put in a decompression tube and uh, what would you expect, uh, to happen, uh, during the course of the decompression? How long would you wait? And what would you tell the patient and her mother about the, the next steps? Um, I would wait a couple months, maybe four to six months, um, continuous follow-up and checking on the size of the lesion. Um, I think regardless, sure. we're going to have to resect, um, it's, maybe a matter of what size. So you get, you get this, uh, pano at the three month mark. Are there any changes you notice since the last one? Yes. I see that the inferior border is, um, there's more of an inferior border. It seems like there may be some buckle or lingual, um, bone that was, would you there continue before. with the decompression at this time? I would. Yes. Cool. So you tell her to wait three more months and this is what it looks like. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would continue. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you, you continue, you actually managed to get a, a CT at this time. Um, at what point would you consider removing these impacted teeth? Um, probably once I have, uh, I guess at this point would be good. There is a, a nice inferior border. Um, sure. I wouldn't be, um, as nervous about there being a fracture. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you make the, at this time, um, you've said you would take out the teeth and enucleate. Um, I wouldn't nucleate just, yeah, I'd probably let it get a little bit smaller, maybe after the teeth came out. Okay. Um, what are the subtypes of a unicystic amyloblastoma? Well, I, I can't tell you that. Sure. But. So you wait a couple more months and you actually end up, um, shelling this thing out, like getting, nucleating it properly. Um, it comes back as, um, a intraluminal amyloblastoma. Is this, uh, consistent with what you've seen on images so far? Uh, for, no, I, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, no, I, 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 what, I don't know that right now. What, then that's perfectly okay to say. Um, what's the recurrence rate, um, after a nucleation and curatage of an amyloblastoma like this? Yeah, I, I can't tell you either. Sure. <laughs> um, so you take her out of arch bars. She's very happy. Um, at what point would you consider this patient eligible for dental implants? Uh, so she was 12. I'd mm -hmm. probably wait until she stops growing, maybe do serial um, cefts uh, or just follow her growth. Sure. Um, and consider it after she's stopped growing. I probably got a denture in there to stop super eruption. Sure. Okay. Well, that's basically the case. I, I thought you did really well there, Carla. That was that was really good. Especially Great. going towards like decompression. It's a it's a tougher case to just like make those calls. Like, what would you do? Because resection, it, it you know, it isn't terrible. Yeah. Um, it's a viable okay. option. Yeah. Um, but the examiners, you know, I got pushed around on a couple cases, you know, where I suggested one thing and they said, well, the patient doesn't want that. And so they make <laughs> you go down, <laughs> they make you go down other, other routes, but, um, you pick the right things and like you did the right things by putting her in MMF. Um, well, I mean, if we go back from the very beginning, like, yes, medical history, um, asking her, you know, those, those HPI questions, like, does it hurt? Is there sensation change? Is the bite different? You asked all the right things. Um, and that's like a whole component of it. I, um, I think it's also in the A-bombs blueprint, like how they score you. Like there are set, you're eligible to get 72 points, something like that during the whole course of the exam. And on each case, you basically can get like one of three points and like you get one point for like just data gathering, um, or maybe they grade you on data gathering, um, kind of integrating all that data you've gotten into the correct diagnosis. And then the third part is making sure you have the correct treatment for that diagnosis. And you had all the right things. Like you gather the data, right. Your diagnosis of, you know, ha having those entities, a myxoma, you know, you know, I think it'd be more mixed radiolucent, radiopaque, um, uh, CG, CG. Yeah. That that's, that's just fine too. Um, amyloblastoma, dentigerous OKC, like th those are the most likely ones you call them out. Um, and then the treatment of decompression, taking out the mobile tooth number 19, allowing it to decompress, like, and, and also putting the arch bars on because she said, you know, she felt her bite was different. Um, and I, I guess we could have, uh, also talked about what you'd recommend in terms of like post-op instructions to her, like soft diet, um, you know, maybe limitation of, of opening and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought she did awesome. That was like textbook. Nice. Hey, would you, would you want to get her like a, like a, a removable partial denture to prevent the super eruption on the left? 
I see that yeah. tooth just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, thought, I would have done I that. I thought she mentioned that, but. I, yeah, I, I did. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. They didn't do it on the station. <laughs> yeah, we, we we didn't actually. That was a, you know, a good point. We probably could have, but um, she was lost to follow up, a, you know, a few months later. Um, as for the subtypes of a unicystic amyloblastoma, I think it's like luminal, intraluminal, and then mural. Um, mural, like the, it basically differs in how like the actual uh, amyloblastoma is penetrating into like the cystic wall. Um, and there's something like, I, I forget, I, we, I guess we could have gone into like Vickers-Gorlin criteria, but that's a pretty deep pull. Like, you know, the, the cellular hallmarks of an amyloblastoma, like the reverse polarization, like palisading cells, cytoplasmic vacuolization, all that stuff. There's like, there, there's something like that. Um, the recurrence rate for something like this, uh, I, you know, I actually don't know off the top of my head either, but I, I want to say it's like 25 to 50 or something like after enucleation and curatage. Um, I guess another question line that you, that we could have down, gone down is like, if this thing recurs, when you, when would you expect it to recur? Um, and I think, 10 years or something. yeah, I think it's within five years. I think that's what I'd say, but, um, let me go back to my notes here. I have like a bunch of notes from residents. In terms of follow-up, you follow them up every six months for the first two years and then you do every year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to do it. Um, I don't think I'd do anything too different than that. Um, Yeah, that, that was a good one, though, Carla. That was really good. Yeah. Oh, it says like 10 to 20, I guess, unicystic amyloblastoma recurrence after enucleation curatage. Peterson says 10 to 20%. Stalinga said 18%, which, all right. Sounds good, dude. Um, yeah, and that's that's a pretty basic one. You said they didn't it. have any histo, right? No, yeah, there's no histo. There's no histo. <laughs> Um, they're, they're not, I, I think they did away with that cruelty back in the, back in the day, they made you, you know, sit and look at a slide and describe to me what you see. What do you see? Like, I don't know. Starry sky, <laughs> fibroblast giant cells. <laughs> and there's the standard stuff, but I don't know. Um, though, so they'll give you something pretty routine and then there's always going to be a complication to every, every single case you get. There's going to be the basic thing where they hand you the case, you get the basic data, you treat it right, and you might treat it perfectly well. There's always going to be a complication. There's always going to be recurrence. There's always going to be, um, I don't know, some, some issue. On, on the path, it'll probably be like, I don't know, recurrence or... Um, oh, one thing we could have done for this, like, since we're thinking, I, I heard you say the, the um, macho macho acronym. Yeah. It could have been an, I mean, low chance with teeth displaced like this, but like if it had been without teeth, it could have been an aneurysmal bone cyst or something like that. Yeah. In which case, like, yeah, you'd probably want to aspirate or, or, a you know, AV malformation. You like, yeah. I don't know. You just okay, want to make sure to aspirate or something. Um, that, that could have been something we, we did a little better, but I, I don't think they'd, they'd kill you on that. Cause like during the incisional biopsy, you would have found out something I, I would have hoped. Um, still like reticulum stratum. All right. Um, I got another case. Uh, if anybody wants, wants this one, this one's like. This one is a, a little more complicated. Um, I also like w once we make this timeline, uh, once I once I put it out there and share it with you guys, I'll I'll gladly put myself in the examiner in the um, like examining seat. Um, I don't know how well I'm going to do at this point. Like not really studying too much, but um, it'd be a hard one. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to throw anything. I, I mean, I don't. It'll be good at, at least to practice like making cases and and stuff. Um, and it, it gets to be kind of fun. Like a, after a while, like it's kind of like I, I always looked at this exercise as kind of like going to the gym and like flexing your muscles a little bit as a as a surgeon. That's what it kind of feels like. But uh, anyway. Serge, Reed, you want this one? I can, I can go. I'm just waking <laughs> up. I can go, though. <laughs> He's still in bed. Mm-hmm. It's early. No, but it, it's like super early on the West Coast. Right? <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll get Albana in here at, at some point. All right. So you get a, you get a 29-year-old dude, um, school teacher, um, who comes to the ED with the chief complaint of severe. What's, what time is it? Let's see. Eight. 934. All right. Um, and Carla, for that previous case, that was like, that was a full like 10, 12 minutes. That was a full case. Okay. Like, so they, they can't go in too deep. Um, as they get to know that you're competent and stuff, they'll start a case already telling you, look, for the, the entire uh, remainder of this case, we're going to ignore medical history. You have to assume that they have an amyloblastoma. And once you get to that point, they're taking you down like, uh, th- that's a good sign. It means they're confident that you know what you're talking about. So like probably on your next pathology case, they'd start you off with something like what I'm about to start read with, which is um, the school teacher who comes to you with the chief complaint of severe pain in his right jaw. He has a three week history of it. Um, he has no medical history, nothing else. Um, the dentist can't tell what it is. What do you want to do? Yeah, just uh, find out more about what happened. Did it happen? What was he doing? Any trauma? No trauma, nothing else. He just says he has three week history of this increasing pain in his right jaw. It's constant, dull. He can't really sleep. Any paresthesia or um, change of his bite? Um, Yeah, so you start your physical exam. There is paresthesia on the right side, but the sensation is intact bilaterally. Um, Tooth number 29 through 31 are a little sensitive. Uh, but they're tender, um, no salivary abnormalities or anything like that. And there's a pretty good swelling around the right angle. Okay. You have any trismus? No trismus. What do you want? All wanna... right. Can I get a panorex? Yeah. So you actually end up getting a CT cause he walked okay. in through the ED and the ED shows where I'm going to show you a few cuts. And if it isn't clear, let me know. Um, it might not be at this time. That's probably the best cut you're going to get that little like focus on the right side for this. Um, okay. For this thing. Can I get them one more time? Yeah. Um, let me see if there's any more. Yeah. Th- this one's probably the best one. And sometimes they'll show you on the exam. Like I got a couple really cruddy images and they're like, yep, that's the only image we have, but. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's well, uh looks like a like a unilocular radiolucency in the posterior right mandible it looked to involve uh, like around teeth 29 to 31 mm-hmm. there might be loss of cortication uh on the lingual aspect mm-hmm. uh, airway doesn't look deviated good so what would be on your differential with a radiolucent lesion in the right posterior mandible yeah definitely infection um he doesn't have but- a fever he doesn't have a white count Okay, I would still have something like a, a dental infection would be on there. Um, other than that, um, benign tumors of the jaw, um, you know, the macho thing, myxoma, myeloblastoma, CGCG, different types of cysts. Um, yeah. Um, so what would be, uh, let me see if I can get you something a little better. Um, what would you want to do at this time? Let me just read this. I know. I, I kind of outlined some of it for you. This is uh, helping you along. Well, it looks like incisional biopsy is indicated, so I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd do that. Yeah. So your incisional yeah, biopsy. When, when you get um, Paris, oh, yeah. 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 Um, you get an incisional. Well, would you do anything before you just cut into it? Uh, me, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you could, you could aspirate if you think there was uh, AV malformation or some hemangioma or something, but 
Sure. sure. Um, um, I think. Oh, uh, but you okay, assess so... assess the teeth to see if they need to come out. But if they're they seem like they are vital, so probably just take a biopsy. Yeah, the the teeth are vital. You get the tissue back from the pathologist. It he he gives you something like this. Um, uh, he he says basically there are uh, large whorls of giant cells um, in uh, epithelial and fibroblasts and uh, stranded epithelial nests. Um, he keeps saying giant cells and fibroblasts, multinucleated cells. Uh-huh. What's what are you leaning towards at this time for your diagnosis? Yes, CGCG. I think uh, Brown's tumor of hyperparathyroidism can present with those cells. Yeah, yeah. So what what labs would you get to differentiate uh, differentiate between those? Okay. Uh, Any other labs? Um, Yeah, we could just get like a basic um, CBC. Oh, in terms of differentiating? Yeah, yeah, so you, you... end up sending for those labs and you get a normal calcium, normal PTH. Um, I think so an ABC w- might present um, with them too. It's either a TBC or an ABC. Well, when you did your aspiration, you got very low return of blood. It was just sort of dark red oozing. Wasn't, wasn't uh pulsatile or bright red. Okay. So uh, what would you do at this time now knowing your diagnosis? Yeah, so it's a likely a CGCG. Um, take it out. Um, I think you can do like uh, steroids or something in in the area. Leave behind. What would you do at this time? Um, I would cut it out. Take it excisional biopsy. He he's kind of saying that you know he he doesn't want to have surgery right at this time. He doesn't want surgery. Um. So I know they used to do, um, what was it? Calcitonin. I don't think that's in the case. So it sounds like if he doesn't want to cut it out, you know what it is. Got to do some medical is it, therapy. Yeah. Is there anything besides calcitonin? It definitely is. And I don't know. Uh, steroids. Fine. steroid. Yeah. Then, yeah. So you decide to inject uh, Kenalog, uh, yeah. one, one milligram per cc. Um, do you know the... Uh, well, since it's a two centimeter lesion, you end you end up injecting two cc's of penalog uh, solution every week for six weeks, um, and that doesn't quite help. There's no resolution of it on on pano. What would you do next? Uh, talk to him and say, you know, the only way to solve this is probably to cut it out. Sure. So you end up enucleating and. Uh, curating it out. Um, everything goes according to plan. You get all of it. You don't really leave anything behind. Um, and you end up taking out his wisdom tooth that's associated with it too. Um, on follow-up, um, how would, how would you follow this patient up? What, what time frame and interval? Uh, I probably see him every six months to a year. Okay. So he has decreasing jaw pain, decreasing paresthesia. The wounds close really well. Final path comes back, giant cell reparative granuloma. Um, at three to six months, he still kind of has this V3 paresthesia, but he doesn't have any swelling, any pain. Um, about a year and a month after this, he comes back to you saying he still has headaches, inability to sleep. The pain has gotten worse. He has more swelling of the right inferior border, decreased sensation of uh, right V3, no lymphadenopathy. Anything else you want to know at this time? Uh, I guess I could ask changes in his bite. He doesn't have any change in his bite, but you decide to get another image. What do you see on the right side of the mandible? Yeah, there's a unilocular radiolucency, right mandible. What do you uh, think kinda, it is? Kind of ill-defined. Um, it's actually not clear if it's confined to the mandible um, the inferior border loses continuity yeah i mean it, it's connected to the mandible it's not in soft tissue um it's not originating from any other source it's squarely around the mandible sort of i like mean an, for sure it seems like it's a recurrence of a cgcg 
do you know of any classifications for a central giant cell? Oh, I think there's something about how fast it grows. Shit, I don't think I do. Um, so what would you do at this time? Uh, I'd probably biopsy it again to make sure that's what we have versus some other like salivary, some like other type of malignancy, uh, like a sure. sarcoma or. So you end up getting a CT. This is uh, sort of one of the best cuts of it. There's another cut. There's another. There's a few. Oh, so, um, so you get a biopsy. It does come back as a central giant cell again at this time. What would you want to do? Well, I'd talk to him, see if you want to have surgery. He um, does. He just wants to get this taken care of. He says, Doc, yeah, I'm, this... I'm, I've been living like this for over a year. I can't teach the kids. Yeah. At, at this point, a recurrent CGCG, I think it... Um, we'll have a higher recurrence rate and the standard of care would be to resect it with, um, centimeter, one half to one centimeter margins. So how would you, would this be a marginal or a segmental resection? Segmental resection. How would you, um, how would you uh, what would be your surgical plan be? Yeah, so um, I would say that you could do, it's benign, you could do a reconstruction same day. I don't know, I'd need to measure it. If it was less than six, seven centimeters, um, he could get away with uh, probably an anterior iliac crest bone graft. So let's say it's about four centimeters in size. Uh, what did you say the margins that you wanted to take were? Uh, let's say at most a centimeter. So he, he gets within six, you can get a non-vascularized graft. It ends up like when you get to surgery, well, on, on the radiograph upon closer examination, this actually ends up being a seven centimeter defect. Uh -huh. So I would say he probably needs reconstruction. Uh, the best thing would be getting a fib doing a fibula. What studies would you want before you do a fib fibula? Yes, you need um, uh, like a CT angio of the legs, lower extremities to check for like the vasculature of the um, common peroneal. And I think that's what you get. Yeah. Um, would it change if he had a history of peripheral vascular disease? Uh, it would. Um, so you end up doing that. Um, you resect and you end up, uh, adapting a fibula. He says, doc, eventually I want implants. Does that change how you would, uh, your, your reconstruction approach? Um, I think for a benign tumor, I mean, he could probably do like a John a day thing. So you could, um, uh, you could plan to get implants same time. Could you describe your submandibular approach? Uh, yeah. So incision two centimeters below the mandible, uh, through the platysma up to the mandible, um, identify the lesion, um, and where you want to make your vertical cuts one centimeter posterior and anterior. Uh, sure. So you do that ENT harvest the fibula and you take this thing out. It's a pretty sizable defect, but you're able to, um, I guess, uh, uh, should mention we, we, you know, you, you put in, you want to put them in MMF, uh, mm -hmm. before you cut anything. Um, is there any, uh, I guess, I guess also we could have asked anyway, basically this is, this is the case you reconstruct it with a fibula. Everything goes according to plan. Um, the read that that was already, uh, more than 12 minutes, man. <laughs> That was, that was a pretty good case, though. That was hard, um, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets a little gnarly at times, just like articulating it and like pushing it. If we go all the way from the beginning, I, I thought you did fine, though. Like you, you didn't do anything wrong. Um, hold on. Let's go. Let's go from the beginning. 
Um, yeah, you got the history right. That was, that was great. You're different. You did your physical exam, your differential. Like we could have checked, I guess, for some mobility. Um, uh, you got an image, everything you described it was on it. That was, that was perfect. Um, your differential, um, they, they might push you towards something like if you had to include something malignant, what would it be? And, you know, any of the, you know, soft tissue sarcoma, especially, you know, and, uh, it's usually not common. Uh, I don't think in 30 years old, year old, but, um, I forgot the, you know, all that, all that demographic stuff. Um, yeah, doing an incisional biopsy, aspirating it, um, at the Nashville course, they kind of like needling. Uh, that's a little bit of a pun. Uh, they like needling the, the people for not doing an aspiration before. So like oftentimes at that course, they'll be like, when you've cut into it, bright red blood shoots out. And you know, this poor examinee is sitting there sweating going like, Oh no, I would have done an aspiration. But you, you said that, um, you got the CT, like the, the way you differentiated between central giant cell hyperparathyroidism and Brown's tumor, um, was perfect. Like you'd get a, a CMP and you'd be looking at the PTH and, and calcium. Um, the, uh, the, the non-surgical option before you nucleate and curette, I think there's, I think there's three of them. Like you mentioned calcitonin, um, you mentioned Kenalog and you mentioned, oh wait, you mentioned Kenalog and calcitonin. And I think there's like interferon alpha that you can also do, but they're, they're, at, at most, I think they would ask you, what are the three options that I doubt they're going to ask you about dosing. Anyway, you, you inject it once for six weeks and see resolution on Pano. Hopefully this guy did not. You nucleate and curatage. Um, so he came back, he had a recurrence um, and classification of giant cell. There's aggressive and there's non-aggressive. Aggressive is classified as, I think, greater than five centimeters or a recurrent lesion. And those are the only two criteria, um, non-aggressive being, you know, small and non-recurrent. Um, but that's not a, that's not a big one to, to miss. I mean, that's a pretty silly classification anyway. Like, of course, if it's recurrent, you're going to do something different. Like these classification schemes that don't really help shape your treatment are, are a little silly to me, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big recurrent lesion. And so you're going to resect it segmental resection. Um, you called that out well. Um, and yeah, if it's bigger than six centimeters, like you said, like a fibula is going to be your, your workhorse cause it's vascularized. Um, you got the appropriate studies before, um, medical history. You, you want to make sure that the patient doesn't have a history of peripheral vascular disease. Um, you want to make sure that they don't have a history of trauma to their lower limb. Um, I don't think they're going to ask you about like what limb you would choose in terms of laterality. Like if you choose the right or the left, I, I mean, I, I guess if you're a reconstructive surgeon, you have your preference. Um, but that's not a, I, I doubt that if they're, if they're asking you that they're, they're, you know, they're really testing you and that's a good sign. Um, three vessel runoff from a CTA. That's, that's, that's the study you want. Um, and then I guess they could ask you about pre-surgical planning a little bit on like how you would plan it up and then, you know, plan it up. I get a guide. I hope my guide has, I would tell them, I want my guide to have the, you know, pre-drilled holes so that, you know, in the proximal and distal segment, I can just, you know, snap in my, uh, pre-milled bar. Um, that was pretty good. The inferior, the submandibular approach. Perfect. That that's another sound bite to load up. Like all your approaches, if you know them like the back of your hand and you can spit them out, like, like it's an op report, that's perfect. Like if you get that question on, on boards, you can like just zone out and, you know, spit that out and they'll cut you off. Cause you know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the crucial thing on, on, uh, the, on these cases where things are getting really advanced, stick to the basics still like, remember all your basic stuff, like 
I'd put the patient, it, it's easy to like get down the road of like doing the whole surgery, but then you never mentioned you'd put the patient in MMF. Um, and that's something that could, you know, screw up your surgery. So just remember to put the patient in MMF. I sort of forgot to push you there. Um, and harvesting the fibula. Good, good, good. Um, drilling in the bar. I guess we could have asked a couple questions on like, you know, what if the bar fails or what would your instructions to the patient be immediately after? And what would you be monitoring for? How would you know, um, let's say you can't close soft tissue in the mouth. Like, would you want a skin paddle? And like, how would you monitor the, the, uh, vascularity of your, your pedicle? Um, you could do Doppler pin prick, like, you know, various things. Um, there's a couple. Um, I think if you're getting any of those questions on like how to monitor complications with a fibula, you're probably doing pretty well in the exam. Um, yeah. Uh, normal post-op instructions with a fibula, you know, uh, or normal questions from a patient like, Hey doc, does this mean my leg is going to be weak? Is it going to be, is it going to mean I'm, I'm limping or anything? Um, those are, you know, fair questions, but yeah, that, that was really good. That was really good. I mean, it, it, you, you guys like already, already basically know this stuff. It's just practicing it. That's the tough part. I got to get used to it. Not being Ryan who I'm talking to. I'm like, Oh yeah, man, uh. <laughs> I know. I know. That's where it gets, that's where it gets kind of hard. You know, in the, in these study groups, you try to go through it fast. Like, uh, I'd, I'd say that's the, the best thing to remember is like, just try to go through it like as quick as possible. Not just saying like, well, you know, they could do this or they, they do this because they, um, you will get the question during the exam. Like, what would you do? What would you do? And they're just trying to make sure that you are being safe. They don't care like what, you know, what literature we know or anything. They just want to yeah. make sure you're not going to kill somebody. We got to get trying on, uh, after a hard day at work when he's mean <laughs> tearing people apart on the no, I don't want to do that. That's no fun. <laughs> that's no fun. All right. But that's why it sucks. Like in, in residency, I always wanted to start this sort of thing. Like a, I, I felt like this, this kind of education was the best form of it, but I don't know. You do these, make the interns do lectures and stuff. And it's like, okay. All right maybe another kind of tip I'd have, it's more just for me. If I start studying too many things, I get a little overwhelmed and I, I end up doing very little. Um, I have a, how do I put this delicately? Um, Doesn't I, have I, I, I have like a, I have a review book. Like, I think it's that blue book by ready Rob. Oh Rob yeah. Ready. I like that one. That's one I've been that, that one's probably, it's way more detailed than the, the detail you need from the boards, but it has mock cases in it at the end of each section. Mm -hmm. That's a good resource. I sort of looked through that one and then decided, you know, with a month left that like, oh, I can't keep doing this. It's, it's a little too detailed. Um, the Nashville review notes, those are pretty good and basic. As long as like you just make your way through something and you're making those little soundbite flashcards, it'll, you, you'll be set. Um, but you guys took the Nashville course like two or three months before. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And, because... and with your guys, it's like two weeks before the exam, right? Mm -hmm. It's like mid January. I know that the Nashville course is meant to scare you. It's, it's the best course there is, but it, it, it's just meant to scare you. Um, I'm not sure it's like, it, it's very useful. Like if, um, if you get up there and do a case, like, um, you're going to be just fine for the regular boards because the regular boards are a lot less intimidating than getting up there in front of 300 people and talking on a mic to four surgeons. And <laughs> <laughs> But if you get up in Nashville, you'll be just fine in the regular thing. But those guys in Nashville, they're, they're assholes. <laughs> That's why I feel so relaxed, man. You went like, what, three times on Nashville course to volunteer? Yeah, I... I I went up my chief year of residency. I got destroyed. And then 
yeah last year or like this past may i i went up twice uh they they served up a couple horror horrible cases like i got one on like pemphigoid pemphigus <laughs> and like uh oh. besets and and what was it like stevens johnson syndrome like that was all in a case they served up to me and then there was some some like uh there's a down syndrome kid who i had to sedate um or maybe i didn't have to sedate maybe that's why that case went poorly it's because i sedated him (laughs) (laughs) anyway all right guys well cool uh we'll set it up for next week and you know we'll take it from there all right right. thanks thanks guys all right see you guys have a good week bye Bye. I got a shop in my swords for the oral boards. I learned them from Mattel and he's the Lord. And I'm his protege. You know I'm gonna slay all these motherfucking questions today. Cause I got the sound bite. They're gonna make these old men go, ooh, ah, like some afternoon delight. Yo, I got these questions in my sight and I got the answers. Yo, my answers is so ill. They give you cake the so That's a wrap on another week of Fight Club. If you'd like to participate in the study club or you'd like to submit a case, shoot me an email. Dr. Patel, as in D-R-P-A-T-E-L at bondoralsurgery.com. Like, follow, or click subscribe to get updates and material. If you found this valuable and would like to support us, please head to our website to contribute. Bond is committed to creating value for the dental community and making healthcare healthier. As little as $499 gets you the Soundbites pack a proven method designed to help you automate information during oral discussion. A full disclaimer, this podcast represents the opinions of the owner and participants. We discuss no questions or answers of the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery Oral Certifying Examination on this podcast. The express purpose of this course is to provide continuing education in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery for those in attendance. This course is neither approved, recommended, nor endorsed by the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. It is not and should not be construed as an official guide in the preparation for any American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery certifying examination. In addition, this course does not guarantee that the participant will pass any examination administered by any regulating body. The use of this podcast and the materials linked to this podcast are at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice, nor guidance of medicine, surgery, nursing, dentistry, or other health specialties.